Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke 4, Temptations Breakdown. Chapter 4 of Luke. We were there last time. We're going to continue there probably for at least another Sunday. Uh, we're looking at the temptation of Christ. After his baptism, he goes immediately out into the wilderness and uh, takes on the devil. And we saw last time, why did he do that? Uh, to prove that he was a, a qualified Savior. To prove, not, not because he needed proof, not because the Father needed proof, but because we needed proof. And so he goes out uh, before a very, a very short but potent public ministry. Uh, he goes out and does that very thing. A qualified Savior is the key to our redemption. Our salvation hangs in the balance of it. Uh, in other words, he's going to demonstrate that there is no other Savior. And uh, in fact, it is, um, that, that drama is, is held up somewhere, but we're going to look at that here in just a second. But first, let's just read this, this beginning of the temptation here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and I notice that carefully. He's not off doing something he shouldn't be doing in a place he shouldn't be doing it with people he shouldn't be doing it with. That's where we fall into temptation. Not Jesus. Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He's looking for the devil. Don't you ever dare do that. We're going to talk about that. Uh, you know, the whole charge hell with a water pistol is not advisable. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now that's instructive right there. So if you are, as we're going to see in just a minute, he really says, since you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. That's, um, that's a tremendous uh, statement of respect to the capabilities of the Son of God. Now I would suggest to you, that's not a temptation he's going to bring into your life. Do you know why? Because you can't do it. <laughs> to change stone into bread, you're talking about uh, atomic or subatomic level engineering. Only Creator does that. It's a tremendous statement of respect for His capabilities. Since you are the Son of God, if you are, we'll see that in a second. Jesus answered and said, it, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The qualified Savior he went out to demonstrate that he was qualified and took on the devil and his temptations. And, and that, that uh, drama of finding a qualified Savior is, is in essence what's happening here. This is Revelation chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 6. Here on your screen. It says, this is John, the revelator, the writer of Revelation. Here's what he says. I saw his vision of heaven. In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with a writing on both sides, Seal with seven seals, it's title deed to the earth, title deed to creation, title deed that unravels all the things that have been wrapped up because of sin and corruption. And notice the problem. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven and earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look into its in inside of it. Nobody, guys, listen, could get financing to get the deed. No one could. Some, no one could pay that price. Only one could. Watch. I wept and wept. He understood the consequences. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the Lord, I'm sorry, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then he says, I saw a lamb. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. So Jesus intensely puts himself 
through this grueling temptation to prove that he's a qualified savior. Listen, he was already qualified. It's not, okay, so he just comes off of his baptism, the Father from heaven says, behold, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. It's not like God sitting in heaven with his fingers crossed saying, come on, Jesus, come on. One more thing you gotta do and then, you know, then you'll be qualified. It wasn't like that. He's qualified from eternity, guys. He's doing this so that we will know that he's qualified. That's why he's doing it. Speaking of temptation, you heard of one about the store owner who, a little boy comes into a store and is over there standing by the candy counter. He just stands there. The store owner goes about his business and paying attention. I mean, kids come in, come out. He's doing stuff for quite a while, comes back on, the kid's still standing there staring at the candy. Paul says, kind of strange, I wonder what this kid's up to. So he goes and does a few more things, comes back, the kid's still standing there. So he goes over and says, young man, what are you up to? Nothing, sir, he says. So it looks like to me you're trying to steal candy. He says, you're wrong, sir, I'm trying not to, he said. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not the place to face temptation, let me tell you. No, nobody, listen, knows how bad he really is until he tries really hard to be good. Isn't that right? Nobody really understands how tough temptation is until they try to resist it. You have a Savior who has dealt more with temptation than anyone ever has. You know why? Because he never gave in. He never gave in. So he knows to the nth degree the ultimate end of all of temptation. We've given in. We have no idea what that end is like. He does. He does. He's qualified to redeem us. He's qualified to rescue us. He stands. He gave us this example so that we could know that he is able to sustain us in times of testing, in times of temptation. And so we're going to be looking here at these, the pattern of these temptations that are brought to Jesus, three different ones, and they're just given as examples. Because like I said, he's been 40 days under temptation. These are examples, if you will, of the biggest ones, and they're also given to us, I believe, by the Holy Spirit, just because they are uh, three patterns of temptations that we find very common in our lives, and we're going to see the first one uh, this morning. First of all, Jesus' temptations are, for the most part, unique to him. Like I said, you're probably not going to ever be tempted to turn a stone into bread because you can't do that. You can be tempted to do something that you very well can do. And uh, it's, so it's not the, the exact temptation that is going to be applicable to us, but it's the pattern, it's the style, it's the... It's the pull of these temptations that are common among the temptations we face on a daily basis. So, so we're going to be spending some time uh, breaking them down and uh, taking a look at them. We're going to be doing a lot of introduction today, so we're not going to be getting so much to the, the first one. We'll be looking at it some, but more or less an introduction to it. But first of all, some general observations. Jesus intentionally puts himself in the very worst of circumstances. He does it. Why? We've already talked about that. To, to demonstrate to you that he's qualified. These are the worst of circumstances. Jesus does some things here. There's several things that he does here that you need to avoid as much as possible. This is one of the places where you don't want to follow in the steps of Jesus. Do not do what he does. Number one thing that he does is that he, right after a spiritual high, he goes out and faces the devil. Not advisable. Don't, don't, now, if, you're, if all he was was human, that would be a really dumb move. But of course, he's also the son of God. So Jesus is not going to give in to temptation because he's God. He's not going to do it. God can't sin. 
He's not going to do it, and, and now we know for sure that he can't because he demonstrated it to us, but, but nonetheless. But, but let me just underscore this very carefully. You are not Jesus. Did your mama tell you that? You are not Jesus. Do not do what he does. In fact, you need to do the opposite. When things are coming up roses for you, when things are going great. See, Jesus just come off his baptism. He just came out of 30 years of anonymity. And he comes into the public eye, and the first thing that happens is John the Baptist, his cousin, points his finger at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the guy. This is the one we've been waiting for. So he goes from complete anonymity to complete public. There he is. And then, of course, his baptism, the Father from heaven says, Behold my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. It's an incredible experience. He goes straight from this high, if you will, straight to facing the devil. If he was anybody but Jesus, this would be a really dumb move. It, 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 we need to be very careful when things start going our way. Now, isn't that what we all pray for? Isn't that what you want? I don't know about you, but basically my prayers are, are summed up under this. God, make me happy. <laughs> and make everybody I know happy, and the people that I don't like, get rid of them. Isn't that what you pray Because <laughs> that'll make me happy, too. <laughs> You know, the, the problem with that is, among other things, if he does make you completely happy, your typical tip situation, if you're like me, is to drift away from him. Is that not true? Everything starts coming up roses, what happens? We won't see you in church, will we? We won't see you in Bible study. Not as faithful. It's amazing how when we're, when we're drop, dropped to our knees, we do everything that we can do when we're down there. It's not a bad place to be. But when we get up off our knees and things start coming up roses, everything starts going our way, pride get, begins to creep in. If you know what the scripture says, first comes pride, then comes what? Yeah. Watch it. Things going well in your life, I know not 100%, but you're feeling pretty good about things, you better watch it. Humble yourself. Watch yourself. Don't do what Jesus did and go out and try to take on the devil like he does here. So number one, he takes on the devil right after a spiritual high. Number two, he allows himself to become physically weak. You understand 40 days is two days short of 42 days? 42 days is six weeks without eating. When the last time you did that? That's not, I wouldn't advise that. I mean, you're critical. You're in a critical condition. So to say that he was hungry, yeah, is truly an understatement. He allows himself, though, to do this, and in that weakened state, in addition to coming off of a, this spiritual high, he faces the devil. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You're not Jesus. Be careful when you're weakened physically, because here's what I know, or what you need to know. There is no separating your physical body from your spiritual body from your soul. I think Jesus was capable of doing that and shuffling them around like shells or whatever. You can't do that. Whatever happens to you spiritually has also happened to you physically and also happened to your soul. What happens to your soul also, or your, your, your emotions, if you will, has also happened to you spiritually, also happened to you physically. You follow me? What happens to you to emotionally affects you physically, doesn't it? Am I telling you anything you don't know? So you know that. You can't separate those things. When I get sick, it's not the best time for me spiritually. When, I, when I'm going through a hard time emotionally, it's not the best time for me physically. It's just the way it is. So we need to be very careful. We can't help it necessarily by get, uh, getting sick or going through emotional turmoil, but what we can do is be very aware of how vulnerable we are under those circumstances. You're very vulnerable. Humble yourself. Gather around you. 
other believers who are doing better than you at that time. Listen to them. Bounce things off of them. Here's what I see often as a pastor, and I'm, I'm sure I've done it myself, is we get in some kind of emotional turmoil and then want to go out and make big decisions. Don't do that. You shouldn't be deciding, if you're in an emotional situation right now, don't make any decisions other than where you're going to be eating this afternoon. That is the biggest decision you should be making. You have people that, that go through an emotional or physical situation, and in the midst of all that turmoil, they want to make life-changing decisions. Don't. Don't. Rein yourself in and have others around you who are reining you in. Again, which brings us to our third point here. Uh, you need people around you. Jesus goes out all by himself. Not advisable. I know, you know, we have these, uh, you know, these super, super human Christians, supposedly, anymore. We say, we have the mind of Christ, we have the power of Christ, and you do. The only thing is, you aren't Christ. Don't think you are. You are a sheep. He is a shepherd. It's totally different. You are not him. Sheep, here's the recipe. Sheep by themselves, any sheep by itself is a dead sheep. You're a sheep going against a wolf? I give you two seconds. It's going to be it. He's just playing with you. If you're not dead already, he's just playing with you. Charging hell with a water pistol. By yourself. Not advisable. Do not do what Jesus did here. You're going to be in big trouble. Uh, again, these are unique to him. He's unique. This is a unique situation to him. Nonetheless, these, these, these um, temptations give us principles to help us understand how the devil, because what he comes with Jesus at is the same thing he's coming to you. Jesus is a human being too. Coming at you with the same human stuff. So, especially unique to you, like this lure that's specially built for you to catch you. So, so let's break down the thing that's happening here, and the first couple of things are going to be true for each one of these, and so it's going to take us longer to get into this first one just because we've got to introduce it the way we do. The first thing it says there in verse 3, and the devil said to him, and it's important that you understand the construct, not just the words, but the construct of, of the genre, if you will, of what he brings to the table every time he tempts Jesus. And here's one of the most important things. Everything he says to Jesus is partly true everything. That's his MO. That's the way he runs. Because he knows, first of all, he knows that you're dumb, you're a sheep. He knows he can get you. So he uses your dumbness against you. No offense, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Just sheep are that way. But, but he uses your dumbness against you by making you think that you're smart because he'll hand you something true, but he'll sneak in underneath it something that's false. Just like I said, just like a fishing lure. Looks good. Why would I bite it? Why would I go after it if I'm a fish? If, if I know the hooks are in it, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not thinking the hooks are there. I'm thinking I'm about to satisfy myself. I'm about to fill my stomach. It's going to be a good day. Look at that. There's something big. I don't have to look for anything else. Whammo, and then whammo, I'm caught. He does the same thing. He takes the truth, and he underlayers it with a lie. Deception, listen, works best with partial truth in it. Remember, Taking tests, I know that y'all do in high school and junior high because we got some sitting up here. here. Here's the rule of a true-false question. If the question or the statement, if any part of it is false, the whole thing is. I may have a paragraph of true stuff, but I got one clause that's not true. Better make sure you put an F in the box instead of the T in the box because you're going to get that one wrong. That's exactly the truth. So, so hear me carefully. If any part of what you're hearing or feeling 
or thinking is false or anything else, the whole thing is false. The whole thing. It's his MO. It's the way he works. And the reason why the Holy Spirit included these temptations here, like I said, of all the temptations Jesus was receiving for those 40 days, because he's trying to say, listen, pay attention to what's happening here. There's something you need to know. So we're watching it. So and then he goes to the next thing, and we've discussed this briefly already, but he says, if you are the Son of God, and this is an illustration of some of the difficulties we have with translation. How many translations do we have in this room? I've got the New American Standard. You got New King James, we got NIV, we got King James Version, we have ESV, we have Living Bible, we have all these different things. One of the reasons why we have these multitude translations, do you know? Because we do not speak Greek. This was written in Koine Greek. Koine Greek is a superior language, maybe double to our languages for a superiority. Its capabilities, its, it, 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 it flushes out our inabilities. Our language is basically rudimentary. It's not, we're, not, we're not evolving, we're, de- we're devolving, we're getting, we're getting dumber. Our languages, in, in all languages, pretty much are a demonstration of this, because all the old languages, including, including uh, Koine Greek, were far superior. So what happens is we translate from a far superior language to a more rudimentary language, there's, there's going to be some gaps. There's nothing you can do about it. So when you have a book like this one right here, New American Standard, or KJV, or NJ, NKJV, which are literal translations. What I mean by literal is they try as best as they can. And hats off to these guys. I'm not trying to speak against them and say, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing, and, and I do, because mm, you don't know me well enough. <laughs> what I am saying is, is that they tried their best to go word for word, Greek to English, and, and there's cases where you just can't do that. This is one of those cases. Because even though the translation is correct, our interpretation of what it says is incorrect. Because here's what we hear. We, we hear exactly what it says, if you are the Son of God. That is, not, that is not the intent of the Greek. The intent of the Greek is not a presumption. It's, it's an affirmation. In other words, it's not, he's not questioning whether he's the Son of God. He's affirming whether he's the Son of God. But you didn't hear that, did you? Because you're not a Greek speaker. Here's how it would hear to a Greek speaker. A Greek speaker would not hear, if you are the Son of God. This is what's called a first-class conditional Greek with, with a participle, which just simply means there's no question that he's the son of God. Here's how a Greek hearer would, a speaker would hear it. If you are the son of God, and you are, that's exactly how they would hear that. Now that makes sense to you, doesn't it? That's not a question. That's a, I know that you are. If you are, and we all know that you are, why don't you turn this stone into bread? It's not a supposition. It's an affirmation. A uh, better way of hearing may be, since you are the Son of God, or, or in view of the fact that you are the Son of God. But here's the most important thing for us. Not even does the devil question the fact that he is the Son of God. Like I said, turning stone into bread, that's the act of a creator. So it's an assumption that that's who he is. It's patently evident in the scriptures, both the statement of Satan and, and his, by the way, his demons held the same position. Here's the demoniac on the shores of the Sea of Galilee comes out with a legion of demons. And what do you want with us, son of God? No question. If you come here to torture us, again, the demon across the other side of the pond there in a a, uh, synagogue. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's like they can't help but say it. Another one. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most... Hi, God. You never find the devil or demons 
ever questioning the fact that he's the son of God and capable of all the things that God is capable of, which, which of course he is. You never find that because, listen, they're not that foolish. They're not. But I'm going to give you a list of those, a brief one. But, a large, but it's a large grouping of people who, do, who don't believe what the demons did. Mormons don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe he's God. Jehovah's Witnesses, they do not. They deny it. Muslims, these all have Jesus in their doctrines. But they don't have the Jesus of the Bible because they cancel out these things. Like I said, even the demons weren't that foolish. Liberal theologians call themselves Christians. I hope they are. Doesn't seem like that so to me. Say, he wasn't the son of God. Listen, if he's not the son of God, you are going and me, we're going to hell together. We have no hope. If he is not God, again, it's patently evident in the scriptures, demonstrated in multiple cases, even by his enemies, they make the same statement, and yet, it, and so I would just simply say this, you're welcome to not believe it, you're just not welcome to say it doesn't say it. It definitely says it, patently evident. Satan always in these temptations assumes that he's the son of God. It's not a, it's not a supposition, it's an assumption. Since you are the son of God, do these things. So let's get to the temptation. We have 20 minutes. <laughs> temptation number one. Since you are the Son of God, if you will, tell this stone to become bread. Wow, so he can just speak it? Yeah, like I said, there's an assumption here that he's the creator. There's an affirmation. You're the creator. Do it. So here's a question for you. Is Jesus hungry? Six weeks with no food. 40 days. For me, 40 minutes. And, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go again. I don't know about y'all. Four days? I, don't, I haven't ever, I have done that. But I'm not getting in line for that, I can guarantee you. 40 days? Wow. Yes, he's hungry. So has God provided him anything? There's no bread sitting there. So, so the question is, is God paying attention? See, that's, that's the question that Satan's bringing up. The Father hasn't provided for you, Jesus. Why don't, here's the temptation, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you take the matter into your own hands? God's too busy, possibly. Or even worse, God doesn't care. See, it, it, of course, Jesus isn't falling for this, but it is something that we often fall to. Because he comes at it with these kind of statements. God's not coming through for you. You need to take matters in your own hands. God's not providing for you. God's keeping something from you. You'd be happier if you did this. God may not really love you or care for you, even though he says he does. And so what we find ourselves is taking off, unlike Jesus, on our own, doing our own thing, in our own way, in our own timing, with our own power, and we wind up, unlike Jesus, falling to temptation. It is, listen, very classic. This is a classic temptation scenario. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve fell, by the way. So Jesus is tempted with food. What were Adam and Eve tempted with? Isn't that interesting? Are you listening? It's not a coincidence. So food is our biggest temptation, right? Right now it is because the preacher's running kind of long. No, it's not the issue. Food's not the issue. It may be, you know, maybe your personal issue, but it's not the issue. The issue, you need to understand, is our basic needs and urges. That's what this is about. 
That's what it is because you come out of the womb wanting to eat, don't you? If you're healthy. You wake up in the morning thinking about food, don't you? Uh-huh, see, I know. Because it's, it's basic, it's, it's, it's necessity. And, and by the way, God created us that way, did he not? So, so to want to eat, there's nothing wrong with that per se. That's the truth of this. The truth is, is that Jesus, you've been without food for 40 days. It's understandable that you want something to eat. The lie, the deception is, is that you need to do it yourself. You may not seem that big of a deal, but watch. That's exactly what told Adam and Eve to do. He's, he's, he's keeping something from you. He's holding something back from you. See, you've got 1,000, 500,000 trees in this garden to eat from, but there's one he won't let you. Have you ever wondered why? See, God's concerned. He's worried. He's, he's, uh, he's holding something back. He's, he's scared that if you do something on your own, you're going to become just like him. And it was, of course, a total lie. They already were like him in the image of God. But listen, with this class of temptation, Satan pulls us into doing stuff for ourselves instead of trusting God's provision and God's love and God's timing. How are you doing with that? How's it going? Because I know. I know because that's why this classic temptation comes up so many times in the scriptures. It's here at the, with the first Adam, right? That's how he fell. Now we have the second Adam, Jesus. He's being pulled the same way. He doesn't fall because he's a qualified savior. But, but the reason why this one is, is brought in front of us is because the Holy Spirit's trying to say to you, this is what's happening in your lives, ladies and gentlemen. This is how he's running stuff. Listen carefully. Pay attention. He knows what your natural urges are because he knows how God's created you, and he's been messing with meaner and bigger people than you for a very long time. And so he's going to run this stuff in front of you, and he knows if he puts it in front of you, it's just like a lure. You drag it in front of him enough, they'll bite. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. How are you doing at trusting God's provision, God's timing, and God's love? Having not trusted that, we do stuff. We do something illegal because we think we need to protect ourselves and our income. Mistake. We, we, we do something immoral because we think we need to satisfy ourselves because God's not coming through. It's a mistake. But he pushes us, you see. We do something outside of God's will for our lives because God is going too slow for us. And, 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 and we know what's best for us, Satan will say. That's what he told Adam and Eve. You know what's best for you. You can do this. No, you don't, little sheep. Sheep don't have a clue. They never get a clue. Never, ever. So, so here, here's some searching questions. And I, I want you to think about these. And I don't want you to answer them out loud because I just don't want you to be wrong like you're going to be. It's a shame to put you on public display like that. I just want you to think about this. What, what do we actually need to live? What do we actually need? Do we need, do we need money and a roof over our heads to live? Just think about it. You're influencing people with your answers. Do we need money and a roof over our heads to live? I want you to have answer. You're going to fail. I already told you. Do we need money and a roof over our head to live? Just think about that. Do we need, and i got to say it this way, a member of the opposite sex to be married to as a lifelong partner? Do we need that to live? Let me just say, as a man just got married, just finished 30 years with the same woman. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. It's the best thing. Hi, honey. She's over in the overflow. I have to, you know, (laughs) got to keep things Going, hi, honey. I know she's here. 
it's awesome, it's great, it's incredible, we love each other, we wouldn't know of how we would have made it any other way, but did we have to have it to live? It's just a question. There's a lot of us here in unmarried or maybe asking the question, or newly unmarried or whatever, do I need this person, do I have to have a person like that in my life? Do we need it to live? I'm not saying God can't provide it for you, obviously God did it for me, he's done it for many people in this room. So here, here's, here's getting it really down to it. Do we need food to live? I say, don't answer. Do we need air to breathe to live? I may have made you be quiet because I knew you were going to be wrong because I, I got the answer. Here's the answer. No on all this. No. I knew you were a crazy preacher. We, need, we gotta have food and air to breathe. No, you don't. No, you don't. It is not what's keeping you alive. And I can, it's easily demonstrated. Watch. So, so let's say you have all that. You got food, you got water, you got air, you've got a great spouse, you've got money, you've got a house, you've got clothes, you've got endless provisions, and God says this is your last day to live. So having all that stuff's gonna make you live longer, even though God says you're not. No. So guess what? That's not what you need to live, is it? What do you need? Jesus. What he says. That's right. Do you hear what Jesus said here? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you have none of those, not even air, not even food, but the creator God who can suspend all natural things, every which is why we call it supernatural. He can suspend all natural things even though you have no air, have no food, have no money, have no shelter, have none of the things that we think we have to have. And God says, but I want you to live nonetheless. Will you live? He's God. So by his word, we live. By his word. So you actually don't need any of those things. So the lie you see of Satan is you have to have it. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Now, now, God do create you with those urges and those things, and there's nothing wrong with any, any one of those things. But it's upon his word, you see. That's when you want it. And you don't want it before that. You want it from his precision, from his timing, from his way out of his love. He knows exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what Jesus affirmed. So if God had wanted to turn these stones into bread, he'd have done it. But he did not. Why? Because he didn't want to. That's why. So here's Jesus' answer, effectively. He says, God will provide for me when God is ready. Good answer. Good answer. Is that the answer you're giving to temptations to step out on your own and do it your own way? To make a decision, even though you're not real clear what God wants you to do? To, to jump out and, and uh, follow a, an urge, a God-given urge, but still... Outside of God's provision, it's a formidable temptation. And it comes to us as a push, pushing us not to wait on him, pushing us not to, to take matters into our hands, pushing us to, to, to do something in some way that's not right. Pushing us to make a decision when we aren't perfectly clear on what God wants us to do. And that is what's got us into trouble, hasn't it? That's what's eating. It's eating our lunch. You look back at the major stuff that you did that you regret, I guarantee you, it fell under this heading, largely. 
what we're going to find is as we go through these temptations that he doesn't throw just one at you like this. He, he mixes these things. He's got like five fishing poles and he's throwing lures all at the same time at you. Running this one in front of you, that one in front of you, this one in front of you, that one in front of you. Back with the old one in front of you, always to catch you off guard. And if he catches a sheep by himself... He catches a sheep that thinks he knows what he's doing. He catches a sheep that's not dependent upon a body. Why do we need to be a part of a fellowship of a body on a consistent basis? Because listen, guys, this guy's a wolf. He'll destroy you. And that is his goal. And he does not sleep. This is all that he does. So we've got to be so, so careful as we listen to Jesus we see how he handled it we see his return and we're going to get to that next time he returns with he doesn't have an answer he just gives him from this he doesn't have a philosophy he doesn't have an answer from I don't know Dr. Phil even I'm not nothing against Dr. Phil he doesn't have an answer from Oprah he doesn't have an answer he doesn't have an answer from the best book he just read he answers with God's word verbatim that is our solution that's how we get through this I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes as we think about what God has said to us this morning. Appreciate your time and, and uh, focused attention, and we're going to see just a little bit more here. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you placed Jesus in front of us to prove that he was a qualified Savior. He took the same temptations, same kind of temptations that we face, and he followed them to the very end, and he never gave in. Because he is the Savior. He was qualified from, from eternity. He was qualified to rescue us. Not just rescue us. After being rescued to sustain us in this world of temptation. And this circumstances that we live in. So that, that if we allow him to live through us. We can live a victorious life. We allow him, his mind to be our mind as we hear him say, I'm waiting on God's provision. I'm not moving until it happens. Lord, I pray that your mind, we would allow it to settle on us, thinking your thoughts, doing your deeds. Thank you, Jesus, for being not just a Savior, but a constant companion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.